universe began, light has remained unchanged. Now man has created a new kind of light with powers and properties unlike anything that existed before. Laser light. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Zero X2C podcast. This is Ryan. I'm John. <laughs> and uh, so a little recap from last week. Uh, I talked about... Um, neuroscience the topic and how our brain sort of filters out certain voices or noises from the general from a, a, a the general public i guess and john do you want to go over what, what you talked about last week yeah or last wednesday sure thing yeah last wednesday wow it feels it feels like a whole feels like a whole week oh yes uh pseudo has pointed out that uh coach ryan does not have his beanie on that is correct <laughs> Um, so uh, let's see, last, uh, last Wednesday uh, I talked about, um, first there's a super exciting development using graphene and gold. It's kind of like this little sandwich, um, that does this w remarkable job of amplifying certain frequencies. So we could go theoretically from the, like the high gigahertz to the terahertz range and terahertz radiation has a lot of really cool uses. Um, you can find that in episode number four. Um, and I also talked about, um, a new catalyst that's been found, uh, that can recycle carbon dioxide and convert it back into jet fuel. Um, which is super promising. So um, that's sort of the uh, recap. But today, uh, Ryan and I both have some uh, some more exciting developments because you know the world of science and technology never rests. So, <laughs> and a quick shout out to uh, I missed the name Soda Ve Soda Velos eighteen. Thank you for the follow and the support. Appreciate it a lot. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So today, I guess we'll be starting off with John since I went first the other time. <laughs> so. Right. I mean, if, if we have any uh, uh, fans that, that have been around since episode one and two, you'll know that it was kind of messy when we tried to <laughs> randomly generate who was going to go first. And that was, um, that was hilarious, but I digress. So, Ryan, let me ask you, uh, what do you know about gene therapy? Have you heard of that stuff before? Or are, are you vaguely familiar with it? Um, vaguely familiar. I only heard the term, never really looked into it, actually. Okay, no sweat, no sweat. That's a... Uh, um, so the, the gene therapy is actually a, a pretty simple idea. And the idea is that there are, there are certain illnesses, uh, especially like uh, ones that are genetically related, uh, or excuse me, have a genetic origin, I should say, that, uh, oh, hold on, sorry, I, good, good heavens. There we go. I, I, I'm fiddling around with the uh, um, video settings here. Uh, apologies, but, but the idea is that there are certain uh, conditions that have a basis in, in genetics, and we want to be able to fix that problem, right? Because the defective DNA uh, makes these defective proteins, which can be harmful to the body. Um, so the idea with gene therapy is we target that defective DNA, and we find a way to um, replace it. And in that way, we can um, make sure our body produces the correct proteins. So um, that way, you know, we can kind of uh, solve the problem at its root. So that's what gene therapy is um, in its most basic form. Okay. That, yeah, that, so that does trigger some memories now sort of like i guess uh picking certain genes to be expressed maybe like on an offspring that you, you could uh i wouldn't say that... it's um i wouldn't say it's expression that's a good point though uh, uh because the idea behind expression is that the dna is there but there's some mechanism that needs to get the cell to actually look at the dna because there are because i talked about microRNA. you remember that from our um, I think it was episode three, um, I talked about microRNA, which has the ability to suppress um, gene expression. But with, um, with gene therapy, the, the whole idea is you can even like replace the defective gene entirely. So that oh. way you can get the body to uh, manufacture the correct protein. 
So that's the uh, basic idea of gene therapy. Wow. And, and uh, the, yeah, sort of Veloz 18. Uh, hola, Michael. Uh, saludos de Estados Unidos. <laughs> so, <laughs> gracias por escuchar nuestro uh, podcast. I'm not really sure how to say podcast in Spanish. But, yeah, that's cool. Uh, well, I mean, considering how recent podcasts are, it, it might be a loan word, right? Doesn't, uh, um, I think, different languages, right? Uh, especially for new technology, um, the loan words or, or uh, at least modern developments will sound um, very similar um, if they're just cloned from English. Right. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if podcasts in Spanish is almost, yeah, it's, it's, it's the loan word for it. But, yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, going back to the article I have here, uh, how familiar are you with the, so I said gene therapy and this article, uh, okay. So pseudo says, uh, let's see, I think it's podcast. Okay. So we, we're, we're probably, we're probably on the dot. We'll probably, we can, uh, we can check later if we'd like. Um, but basically the reason why I brought up gene therapy is because there's been a, a super cool development in that some scientists have developed a potential gene therapy that can target deafness. So this is like the genetic version or a hereditary version, um, of deafness. So if you had to guess, like, how many people on earth are, are like are born deaf well not not born deaf but they have like the uh, some genetic condition that would cause deafness how like what percentage of, of the human population do you think would have that oh i feel like it's like less than two percent of the population i don't know i feel like it's a rare sort of rare thing to have less than two percent well uh it's actually the most common sensory disability uh, worldwide Wow. And according to the, uh, I, I, you know, I was kind of surprised when I heard that because I always thought maybe it's like eye, like, you know, like a, a blindness or um, certain eye ailments. But it turns out uh, a deafness is apparently the uh, sort of major disability here. Um, and according to the World Health Organization, half a billion people um, have hearing loss around the world today. And that's expected to double in the upcoming decades. Wait, and wow. It's, is it doubling yeah. just because our population is increasing? Is that... I think so, uh, because eventually, like, you know, for any uh, hereditary diseases, um, you'll have to account for the idea that as the population grows, the chance of mutation um, grows as well. Although uh, for anyone watching us now who may be more familiar with biology, uh, the human body uh, does do a, a, an absolutely remarkable job of preventing certain, um, like, I, I, Ryan, you said you took AP Bio uh, many years ago, but, like, you, you know, like, from the, uh, the enzymes that... Uh, are responsible for reproducing DNA. There's a, a, a bunch of like security factors in place to make sure like, oh, if there's a mistake, we can catch it pretty early on and prevent it from doing any more harm yeah. uh, in the body. Enzymes are pretty cool. That's one of my favorite, I guess, looking back at AP Bio, that was one of my favorite sort of organism in our body is, is our enzymes. Enzymes, okay, yeah. awesome. Yeah, I, enzymes are, um, I, I don't think life as we know it could even exist without you know the help of enzymes, I mean. Uh, enzymes are a form of catalyst, right? They, ha yeah. they make certain reactions feasible um, that would normally not be feasible or that would take um, way too long. So um, they are um, remarkable things. Yeah, enzymes. Uh, so going back to the statistics I was talking about, uh, so it says one in every 200 children is born with a hearing impediment and with one in 1,000 children um, are born deaf. And in half of those cases, that deafness is caused by a genetic mutation. Wow. Okay. So one in 1000 and then half of those are, are some, like there's some genetic factor. Um, that's the reason for why they're deaf. And a quick question. This is, is this born with deafness? 
specifically, or is it? Um, um, so they have the, the genetic factor that can cause deafness. Okay. So I think they might be playing a little loose here, but I think like so, like some some children are unfortunately born deaf. Others might not be deaf in childhood, but as they grow older, they will become deaf because of that hereditary component, that um, uh, the mutated gene. And uh, according to the WHO, there are actually 100 uh, different genes, you know, or mutated versions thereof that can be responsible for deafness um, in life. Wow. Okay, that, that's why. So when I said less than 2%, I was thinking of like people born straight up out of the womb being, being oh, deaf. Okay. That's, yeah. So you might be right. I, I didn't actually investigate the statistics too heavily um, okay. for that particular instance, but uh, I'm, I'm willing to believe you on, uh, on that ground. So this study comes from Tel Aviv University. It's led by Professor Karen Avraham of the Department of, this is a mouthful, the Department of Human Molecular Genetics and Biochemistry at TAU's Sackler Faculty of Medicine and Seagal School of Neuroscience. <laughs> Imagine having to say that like in an interview, like your background. Yeah, but, oh my goodness. But I mean, I mean, Ryan, I, mean, I, th I think we, we both understand like in academia, like your title is like super, it's like a, a thing to be proud of, right? It's, I always thought That's of it right. like, um, if you guys ever go on Wikipedia and you look up former royals, you know, like uh, um, like the, the king and queen of England, and you look at their official titles, and it's like, you know, the, uh, you know, the king of the something, 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 and it's like 20 something words long. And, and like, whenever there's like a royal procession or some kind of event, there's always the guy that says, oh, and you know, here comes the king of, you know, and then it's like the title and it, it, it it's, yeah. <laughs> So let me go ahead and, and give you some details about this, uh, this idea about gene therapy. So what they've actually gone ahead and done, uh, this is a Professor Avraham came, had the idea of taking an, an inert virus, or it's not inert, but it's, it's, a harm, it's a harmless virus, and this virus actually replaces the um, defective gene and enables the cell to continue um, functioning normally. And it focuses on a gene called SYNE4, S-Y-N-E-4. Um, it's a deafness gene or a gene responsible for deafness. It was found in two Israeli families, but it has also since been identified in certain families in the um, UK and Turkey. And SYNE4 causes uh, gradual hearing loss. So, I mean, you made your estimate, Ryan, on uh, the idea that like, you're born immediately deaf, like out of the mm -hmm. womb. But sign four might be, uh, you could argue, might be even more cruel. Like imagine yeah. having the ability to see or hear now, and then as you grow older, having it, you know, robbed of you. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a very cruel thing, um, if you think about it, to happen to anyone. And it's slowly, right? Because over your life, you're going to start realizing, hey, I'm, you know, I'm losing my hearing. And it's sort of like an, an, an inevitable, I guess, thing that's going to happen. Right, it, it's... it's it feels terminal. I mean, because mm -hmm. it's almost like you know you're losing this um, invaluable uh, ability to sense, but uh, you, you don't have anything that can stop it if you had, like, but now, like, with this research, um, they've done it on mice, but already, like, being able to do it on mice is super promising for, for humans. I mean, most of these laboratory mice are, are intentionally chosen or designed uh, in such a way as to reflect um, human anatomy. Like, it, of course, it's not one-to-one, -one, but... Uh, it, it is close enough to the point where uh, there probably only be minor modifications necessary to get this um, into uh, human adaptable form. At least that's what I that's what I believe. Uh, once again, Ryan and I are not medical experts, so don't you know? Please don't take our word if you're planning any sort of uh, medical interventions. <laughs> all right, <laughs> we're just giving our two cents. That's all. Right, exactly. I mean, that's that's the whole title of the podcast: yeah. our two cents. 
so the idea, so what happens, like the way this defective sign four actually works, and, and this is, um, I think uh, the audience might be interested in seeing how we kind of break down some of these articles. So I, I might, I'm, I'm quoting this from the article itself that says the mutation causes, in the words of Professor Abraham, mm -hmm. uh, a mislocalization of cell nuclei in the hair cells inside the cochlea of the inner ear, which oh. serve as sound wave receptors and are essential for hearing. The defect leads to the degeneration and eventual death of hair cell of hair cells. So, so that's like a, a, a lot to process. And, and I think uh, in, in episode four, um, you gave a, an awesome breakdown of how the ear works. Um, do you want to sort of remind the audience what the uh, inner what the cochlea is responsible for? So the cochlea um, basically has the fluid that's sort of in there, and you have these hair-like structures that are sort of fungulating. Uh, they're moving with the uh, the way the fluid moves in order to uh, sense, uh, I guess, different um, different signals, different noises um, from what from I guess when it comes to the ear. Uh, I think that's that's mostly. Did I miss right. Anything? I think the uh, no. I think I think you're spot on. Um, the cochlea is also responsible for balance, I believe, as well. Right. Okay. Like our, our sense of. Uh, our sense of balance because that liquid um, mm. that's why like i think when people go into space for the first time there's no gravity to hold the liquid down and as a result your body feels like a general sense of disorientation in in zero g although you adapt to it over time wow oh and a quick shout out to uh deal mind thank you for the follow we appreciate the support thank you so much uh much appreciated <laughs> uh so what happened so basically like uh in the sort of zero x 2c uh, podcast. When we do research, um, a lot of times, especially for me, uh, these articles uh, are already like really nice versions of the actual research paper. But we like to take things, um, or I like to take things one step further, and I will try and pull the original um, research article or anything relevant to it to try and like get more um, details. So that mislocalization of cell nuclei, uh, uh, what is that? I mean, I, I, when I first read that, I'm like, you know, what the heck is a, a mislocalization of of nuclei. Uh, Ryan, do you have any idea what that phrase might mean? So, a miss. Can you say it one more time? Mislocalization of nuclei. It almost sounds like as if the nuclei is just mislocated. <laughs> if I Wait, no, you, I mean, you're not wrong. But when I, so I had the same assumption, but, mm. you know, being, you know, we want to be thoroughly accurate uh, uh, with our scientific analyses. I went ahead and did more research. Like, is there anything uh, relevant to that, like, mislocalization? And there's a paper here. Uh, this is from the oh, it's like the Federation of Associated of the of the American Society of, of something biology. Um, I'll go ahead and put the link to the research paper here, uh, if you guys are are so inclined. Although it, it is a, a very dense read, and the title is the mislocalization of cone nuclei, which impairs cone function uh, in mice. Uh, Ryan, how much I you gave a wonderful example of. Ear anatomy? How about eye anatomy? Do you know what your cones and rods are in your eyes? Uh, not to the, I guess, no, I wouldn't. Okay. Yeah. So in that, in that other paper, like, I think, I don't remember which is which anymore. I used to know back in high school, but like, like cones and rods are sort of the receptor cells that are found um, in our eye um, that are responsible for um, translating uh, the colors and the intensity of light that we see into the uh, pulses uh, that our brain can eventually process as uh, pictures and images. Images. So that paper also talks about mislocalization of nuclei. And it's exactly what you said, Ryan. It's the nuclei 
don't form in the right place of the cell. And as a result, the hair cells, like the little hairs you were talking about in the cochlea, um, deteriorate over time. Ooh. That's what a defective sign four does. That's why um, they lose their hearing over time. Oh, wow. Wow. But that's a spot on guess. That was a spot on guess. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's nice that they termed it in that way. Sort of yeah, easy to yeah. sort of like put those puzzles together. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they, they, as I said earlier, it's a synthetic virus that they use to deliver the genetic material. And, and it, the actual mechanics of this, um, yeah, I guess they would be painful for humans as well. So this is shortly after um, the mice are born. They inject the virus into the inner ear of the mice and it, where it enters the hair cells and it releases the uh, genetic payload. And that's according to uh, Shahar Tiber, uh, one of Abraham's uh, students. Uh, and according to Professor Jeffrey Holt from the Boston Children's Hospital, he is a collaborator on this project or um, on this study. Um, the sensitivity is, is remarkable. The sensitivity of, of the hearing of mice who had the therapy versus mice who didn't have the mutation um, are, the, are, are nearly the same. So you can like have a full recovery of hearing. Um, so this is, uh, I think it's super promising. And uh, wow. we'll, we'll have to see if they decide to carry this forward with uh, human clinical trials. But um, it's super exciting to hear. Right. Now that that's that uh, that that would change. I mean, especially it would help people that that have jobs that they need their hearing. You know, let's say you're a manager and all of a sudden you lose your hearing. You know, you can't right. communicate right. effectively with your teammates. Um, yeah. Um, as much yeah, as like sort of as much as I know today, you have to use you know either like Google uh, Translate. I think that's what they have is whether you can speak into it, um, and then you know they'll translate it for you real time. But sometimes it's off when the you know when they're speaking to it. Oh, you mean like text to or speech to text, like like when they when they talk, it'll like get the the English and, and all that stuff. Right. Ah, okay. Um. And uh, I mean, the best form of, of communication once you do lose your hearing is really just texting. You know. Like being able to to write. Te- I mean, it, I guess you're in sign you're language. And and you have it like a or, an advantage yeah. if you're um. If you like in your childhood, you're not deaf, but later on in life, you become like you still have like at that point, you're um, I wouldn't say like your, your brain has the ability to kind of work around that. But for people who are born deaf, you know what I mean? Like like to learn um, how to uh, speak. Right. I mean, there's this I, I've seen like some clips of how they do that. Like they, they try and imitate the way the lips move. And it, it's just an incredibly difficult um, process. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, right. I think uh, I think. Ryan and I are both excited to see um, where this study may go. Right. But uh, yeah. Um, but for, in, the, in the meantime, in the meantime, um, for those of us that still have our hearing intact and are, are fortunate enough, um, please do take care of your ears. Um, you know, uh, keep the loud music to a minimum. And uh, for you know, for the love of all things good, stop using those cotton swabs to get earwax <laughs> out of your ears. It's a very bad thing to do. I'm guilty of it as well. I mean, I used to do this, but then I, I read the actual medical research and you're actually making it worse. You're pushing earwax that would normally come out naturally. Um, you're pushing it back in further and that can cause um, uh, an impaction. Yeah. Sudo <laughs> says, they, uh, I feel personally attacked. I, it, it feels so good, right? You, 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 you <laughs> got so to good. admit. Right? Okay. Yeah, I've, I mean, yeah. Like... I've done it several <laughs> times. Uh, I'm lucky enough, my dad was like, yeah, don't use Q-tips in your ears. It's bad for you. I'm like, okay, okay, I won't. But it feels good. I remember trying it one time. I was like, it, it's like itching a, a, a spot on, the, like on your back. It's that same feeling, but it's like 10 times better for some weird reason. <laughs> so Yeah, it's, uh, yeah I feel... 
this is a bit tangential, but maybe like in the future of human evolution, it might be more advent, like people who have a mutation that doesn't let them feel pleasure from scraping their ear, maybe that'll be like advantageous. And then eventually all people will stop naturally. Like that's going to take like millions of years, you know? So, <laughs> you know, I'm wondering like why, you know, like why in that, sp- like, I guess there's a certain nerve ending that really likes that massage inside. And that's it makes true. us. I remember, I remember, I remember how I told, talk, told you about those, like this earwax cleaning videos. Mm-hmm. Yep. There was a video I saw once. I think it was um, this, uh, this Chinese woman. Um, she was getting her earwax cleaned, and at, at this particular clinic, they took a feather and they stimulate like the side of your your face here, and apparently it causes like the the muscle around the ear to like open up a little or, or like to relax. So that way, when they they scrape the earwax out, it's it's one of the weird like I, to me it looks super satisfying, you know, just getting all that gunk out. But <laughs> wow. And uh, as much as I know, sometimes, I mean, well, I don't know what sometimes, but you need the earwax in your ears. Oh, absolutely. Right? It, uh, it plays a, a very important role. Yeah. So, but, uh, oh, and this, this uh, I'm sort of going to go off another tangent. Um, uh, with, with Q-tips, um, my, my, one of my parents would, would take off the cotton tip and go oh, straight up. I don't, maybe it's like... <laughs> Like they can get oh, that's, that's, it's it's yeah that's, it's, even, that's ten times worse. It's got to be ten times worse. I mean, right? at that point, that's like a sharp object next to your eardrum. You know, that's uh, that's also the other danger, right? If something like happens around you, like if you're in a small bathroom and you're not careful, and you're like, you and the door like, the yeah, exactly. Like you've just busted your eardrum. I mean, that's that's a super painful thing. So you know, just but but you know, basically, TLDR. Please, audience, you know, like take care of your ears. It's you know they, they gotta last you a lifetime. So yeah, take good care of them. I hope it might at least last me until I'm eighty. That's like if it starts <laughs> if it starts going out, that I'll be like, okay, that's fine. I don't want to hear it, people anyways. <laughs> I'll be at the age where like, man, I'll just be nodding my head like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> but uh, I feel like I think we, I, I know like right now, especially in this current decade, things are terrible, but. Uh, you know, I, one of our goals, like uh, the goal, one of the goals that Ryan and I had for the Zero X Two C podcast, was kind of give you, you know, everyone watching, uh, a sense of hope, right? Like, here's where the science technology mm-hmm. um, are, is taking us, and eventually, like when we're in our 80s, I think a lot of these current diseases and, and and you know things we worry about, you know, I think they might be things of the past. So, so who knows? Maybe in the future we'll have like some regenerative therapy, like uh, um, I don't know, Star Trek for crying out loud. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, they have like all those fancy medical scanners and they can like you know they can cure almost anything except death (laughs) yeah 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 so yeah i'm hopeful i'm i think i have a pretty optimistic mind of like you know in the future technology will be able to take care of us hopefully um but uh well i think uh yeah so i think that's all i uh, that's uh my article uh ryan how about uh if there aren't any more uh, questions in chat i think we should move over to uh what you've got on the docket today yeah, so I guess bouncing off of yours, mine is about uh, skin disease uh, and dolphins. So in this article, the title is Devastating Skin Disease Covering Up to 10% of a Dolphin's Body uh, Tied to Climate Change. So this is we're, we're going to a whole other area right now, Joe. Uh, where's the article published from? So this, this is, uh, yeah, this is um, Science Daily. And Science Daily. Oh, I should... Uh, but right, actually, before you before you go ahead, right, I'm going to go ahead and drop the link to the article that I, so this came from technology.org. Uh, just for those that are interested, I will go ahead and put that here. And there you go. 
Sorry to interrupt, Ryan. That's all good. Go ahead. (laughs) Um, And the source is the Marine uh, Mammal Center. Uh, And so, okay, so, John, I guess let me just ask, like, you a question about dolphins. Do do you know, like, a species of dolphin, or do you know, I don't know, any like any species of dolphins out? Uh, I mean, I know there's like the the bottlenose or like the yellow dolphin, the bottlenose, the bottlenose dolphin. It, it used to be, uh, uh, I think it's gone extinct though. It used to be in the um, one a river in China, I think the Yangtze River, um, but because of pollution, um, it 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 went extinct. That's the only species I'm I'm familiar with. So yeah, so bottlenose. I'm not sure about yellow. You said yellow nose. I don't I don't know if it's yellow nose. It it had yellow in its name. I'm pretty certain, but uh, okay. I, I might be mistaken. So. Because. Uh, um... This article is about the bottlenose dolphin specifically. Oh, so, sweet! Okay. Yeah, so the <laughs> bottlenose aren't extinct. They're they're still living. Um, they're being affected the most right now, uh, and uh, actually, not just bottlenose, but uh, this disease is happening globally. So it's sort of a pandemic for dolphins right now. And, wow. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, maybe you guys have seen on the news. But I've seen it on several news sources about the, uh, this disease. So I wanted to sort of. Uh, read more about it and so yeah so, so let me i guess there's four other dolphins i want to talk about that are pretty popular um if people are into dolphin tourism <laughs> but um there's spinner dolphins which are famous for their spins out of water and acrobatics and usually they're you know you, you'll see them at, at six flags um the ones that jump out of the water they jump like 10 meters off the water wow. I believe. or t- is it 10 i think it's 10 feet 10 meters is pretty big it's 10 feet my bad 10 feet <laughs> 10 well, meters I mean, okay i got it I got a I got a ruler right here. This is this is one foot. So you're saying ten feet or I yeah. think ten meters might be. You think ten ten meters? Yeah. Well, they they, I, they can hop pretty I, high out of water. I mean, this is kind of embarrassing. I mean, we both study engineering just <laughs> <but> sometimes. <laughs> yeah, our uh, I guess range of measurement is really wonky. <laughs> but uh, and then so then there's a uh, the Pacific white sided dolphin, and the there's another one called the pilot whale, which you think of whale, right? You know, how is it related to, uh, to dolphins? But it is a uh, a part of the dolphin species, uh, and yeah, they just happen to call it pilot whales. So, um, but yeah, so the, I guess so. This study has uh, was carried out by uh, internationally by uh, these scientists. So I'm going to name off sort of the scientists that were a part of this, and it was Dr. Uh, Padrag Duingnan. I hope I don't mess up. I'm probably messing up the names, but it was chief uh, pathologist at the Marine Mammal Center, Dr. Nahid Stevens, a veterinarian path- uh, patholo- pathologist at Murdoch University, uh, Dr. Kate Robb, and she, uh, founding director, zoologist, and geneticist of the Marine Mammal Foundation. And um, so this was published, This, are, uh, I guess their findings was published in the scientific reports. And um, the reason being is because there, there has been recent outbreak in Southeast Australia, which has been impacting the uh, Buruanan dolphins. And these dolphins are a species of, of the bottlenose dolphins. So, so they're they're like a subspecies, or like they're, they're genetically related, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's subspecies, okay. and um, oh, gotcha. Okay. Zerk, Zerks. Thank you for the follow. Really appreciate the support. Thank uh, you. Yeah. Welcome to the OXC podcast. And um, so where was I? Oh yeah. And so the scientists <laughs> at the Marine Mammal Center in Sausalito, California, uh, and this is the largest mammal hospital in the world, um, and international colleagues have found this novel disease. Uh, this novel skin disease that has been linked to climate change. And um, and this is groundbreaking because this is the first disease that has uh, been seen to affect dolphin communities worldwide. So this is sort of like a, I guess, a big deal to the dolphin species 
like globally. Wow. So not just in like uh, I guess in niches in small communities. This is you know this is gone. Hit, hit you know hits every everywhere. It can is... be found like all over the world, like this skin disease. Right. Specifically, um, so you say is it specific to that species, or is it just for like the purposes of this study? It was done on on this sort of southeastern uh, Australian species of dolphin. So as much as I know, it's only uh, impacting. Well, I guess the study that they talked about was the Burrunan dolphins, which is a subspecies okay. of Bottonos. But yeah, I probably have to look more into that. Whether or not uh, why don't you drop the link in, uh, in chat? I think uh, our audience might, uh, you know, if they're inclined, I, I encourage them to check it out as well. Okay, yeah. So it's, I, I dropped it for anyone that wants to read more about it. And um, so I guess, so let, let's sort of, so now we know about the skin disease. Uh, what causes this skin disease, right? And I already said uh, climate change. So climate change is a big factor in this. And John, would you maybe like have any ideas to why so, climate change? Uh, hmm. I think it's usually when, some, when they say like it, it's climate change, uh, I, I'd like to think that something in the aquatic environment, like maybe something they eat, uh, maybe the food chain has changed and, and maybe there's like an organism that naturally has this, um, the, the, is it a viral or bacterial agent that carries this um, skin disease, do you know? Or? Oh, I don't, I don't know the specifics on if it's viral or like. Okay, that's, that's fine. I, because, I, because I know sometimes like, uh, especially for certain diseases, uh, like they, they normally don't cross um, species barriers unless like there's some um, odd, so it's like when you say the uh, climate change, and I would assume like, okay, maybe they're eating something or they're getting exposed to something that normally is never, like it never touches the dolphin's environment. But because of climate change, it, it's happened. That, that's my guess. Um, so how close, how close or how far was I from the actual mechanism? Okay, so you brought it like exposed. So, so these dolphins are being exposed to a, sort of a different environment now. And the reason being as, um, uh, well, from climate change is that um, you want to guess maybe like what specific climate changing factor has been playing if, uh, I know ocean acidity, uh, that's uh, because the increased carbon dioxide levels, um, that definitely um, increases the acidity of the uh, temperature. The temperature of the oceans rises as well. Mm -hmm. uh, that's sort of the more immediate effect. And uh, I mean, those are the two biggest ones I can think of that affect the uh, ocean in terms of climate change. Yeah, so those are, yeah, those two do play a factor. And the other one is the uh, natural disasters or sort of the hurricanes that happen uh, oh, recently really? because of uh, all the hurricanes. Uh, sort of tsunamis, all, all this uh, rainfall that's been happening. Um, the freshwater, or I guess the, the the freshwater from the rain and sort of the hurricane has caused the the uh, coastal oceans to become uh, hyposaline. So they carry so more water. So not salty enough. Exactly. So Wow. Yeah, okay. hypo meaning, I think, uh, don't if it was AV bio, <laughs> I'm remembering, hypo means there's more water than there is salt. So hyposaline, more water, less salt. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, so uh, with a decrease in salinity within coastal waters, these dolphins develop patchy and raised skin uh, lesions. Is that correct? Oh, lesions. Lesions. Yeah. Lesions okay. across their bodies. And so yeah, they say it's, wow. uh, it's sometimes covering up to seventy percent of their skin. And uh, and yeah, again, it comes from hurricanes, rainfall that brought fresh water. Oh, wait a minute. If you say the um, like you mentioned a change in salinity, uh, it doesn't sound like this is a, a bacterial or viral um, thing then. It sounds more like because the, uh, 
um, it's incompatible with their body's natural environment um, that their body starts to like react negatively towards this lack of salt. Right, right. So, so in, I guess an environmental factor or environmental impact that has taken a toll on on these dolphins. And um, oh, wow. so, cause you know, just like humans, we're able to sort of be uh, in an environment for a short amount of period, let's say like really extreme hot weathers, we're able to sweat. But if we stay there for long amounts of period of time, we, you know, we're not gonna be able to make it. And just like these dolphins, they can survive temporarily in hyposaline uh, environments. But if they're, if, if this, and this, uh, I guess new environment can be months and, and you know, they're not able to, to survive months in this environment. Um, wow. Okay. And to give sort of like, I guess, uh, a comparison of like, I guess the, the pain level, um, they, um, it, lesions are equivalent to a third degree burn oh my goodness so and uh, so yeah just trying to imagine like what like going about your daily life with an untreated third degree or multiple untreated third degree burns that is an absolute nightmare wow right and yeah and 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 also dolphins are are uh, if i could not wrong but they're pretty smart uh, oh yeah um incredibly uh intelligent uh and uh yeah, uh, I mean they. Uh, no, de- like uh, the the research has shown. I, I don't know too much about dolphins. Um, mm-hmm. Whenever anyone mentions dolphins, I, I think of uh, <laughs> a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Do, okay. do you know that? Wait, no, no, no. What, what, what is that? Hitchhiker's Guide. It's like I think it's like the moment before there's like this huge calamity, or like Earth is about to get like like literally destroyed. All the dolphins leave, and they like the dolphins like sing this song or something, and it translates to like so long and thanks for all the fish. And it's it, like if you look at the movie, uh, of course the the book is uh, really nice as well. But the movie is, yeah. Well, Suda Suda's uh, obviously seen uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I, I don't want to spoil it, but okay. um, for those who ha- haven't seen it, please check it out. But forty two is like a it's a motif. <laughs> it's a central okay. thematic element. Okay, forty two is there? There's isn't there like a number? Okay, never mind, never mind. Uh, never mind. But so th- there's I'm um, bringing back to this is that where else has this skin disease been found? Uh, there's been significant outbreaks in Louisiana, Mississippi. Alabama, Florida, Texas, and of course Australia. So wow, it's sort of you know hitting many different places. And this, this, this climate change is causing like greater rainfall, probably abnormal amounts of rainfall mm-hmm. um, that would cause these kind of hyposaline conditions that you mentioned. Right, and I uh, sort of to look beyond this, like what happens if we do lose our dolphins, you know, because of of climate change. Um, so dolphins, they're uh, they eat mostly fishes and squid. So I guess, John, can you like, hi, like hi, uh, hypothesize what you think would happen if dolphins were to become extinct? So I, I think this, I think what I'm about to say actually applies to, I think any species that goes extinct, but uh, you know, our food chain is an incredibly complex and delicate thing. The moment you start losing species in any part of the food chain, uh, things start to look really bad for us as well. I mean, we also consume a lot of uh, fish and, and, you know, uh, or uh, just any animal uh, in general. I mean, that has a negative impact on us uh, as well. Uh, Pseudo here has hypothesized shark overpopulation, which uh, may or may not be true. Ryan, what do you, what do you have to say on that? That could be true. That could play in factor. Um, But yeah, no, what what you said, John, is perfect. You know, it's going to impact the the food chain. Um, And so, uh, and and w- when it impacts the food chain, squids won't have, I guess, dolphins eating them. So if there's, I guess, an increase in in squids, they're gonna 
eat the fishes. And if the if there's less fish, because there's no, I guess, predator eating the squids to control that population, then we're going to see an overpopulation in whales or, or uh, maybe even sharks. Uh, maybe Sudo might be right about that. I'm sorry, a decrease, think, uh, a decrease in population of, of whales because whales depend on like fish, smaller uh, fish. Or, I mean, whales and squid have been known to like like duke it out, like they fight. Oh, dang. Oh, okay, I think yeah, I whales seen, like, like a YouTube video on like like an. Yeah, I mean, like some. If you look at some whales, like like they have scars on their. Um, these whales do eat squid, but squid like they put up a really good fight. Um, they'll they'll like get their. Um, not tentacles, but they have like the suckers on like the, the the whale's face, and it causes like cosmetic damage. Mm. But um, wow! But yeah, this is um, uh, I I really want to put this out to anyone listening. But you know that that's like even if you know you think of climate change, and and there's so many statistics showing like so many species are dying out, but you still think, oh, I can still purchase you know my meat for food and, and my vegetables. Like sure, right now we're in a very sort of precarious time because as more things keep going extinct. That'll directly impact us, you know, uh, uh, more immediately. Uh, so, so you know, uh, climate change is, is de- most definitely a thing, and um, it's it's something to uh, be reckoned with. Absolutely. Yeah, and so there's actually a really uh, interesting story. Uh, so this is like a fun story. I don't know factually based if it's true or not. So this is sort of like a, I don't know, just a throw throw it's a like story something, at you. Something off the top of your head, right? Um, this is actually from uh, New York Times. So this is like a little article oh, of, wow, of okay. this story, um, but. So in, on June 1971, uh, Vlad Vladislavich is her last name. Her first name is uh, Vone because it's Y V O N. Do you want to put it in chat? Yeah, I'm gonna. I, I can't. Um, in case our, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I know some of the. Uh, uh, um, so uh, and they refer to as a, her. Von Vlad, Vladislavich uh, mm-hmm. Von Von. I, I don't think it's like Ivan. Okay. Von Vladislav. That's that's a tricky name um, for us, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> okay, and they and they do reference uh, they use pronouns her on the article, so I'm just gonna go based off that article. Uh, if it's wrong, or like if you know she went by another gender, uh, hopefully it's forgiven. But um, so she she was aboard this yacht and then exploded and sank in the Indiana Ocean, and she was thrown off into shark infested waters. But when she was treading water, she noticed three dolphins come to her, and so one of them helped her. Uh, one of them helped her stay afloat, so it was sort of the like, uh, be uh, her her I don't know her life, life uh, what's it called <laughs> lifesaver, and then oh, the, okay yeah like lifesaver. The other two were circling around because uh, where she actually uh, sort of fell in was shark infested, so um, the other two dolphins were circling around her, and apparently they helped her travel two hundred miles of open sea. Wow. To land oh my on this marker where she eventually got helped and uh yeah so uh, i think it should be like pointed out though um the majority of sharks uh do not have the intention of eating humans right right the, the majority what... of sharks uh, i mean it's it's rare instances where they they mistake um surfers or people swimming um uh, for prey uh, so right i think there's like statistics those, like, of like um, the chances of you dying to a shark versus you getting uh, struck by lightning and or like something you know something crazy right. like it, that. It's just it's incredibly rare mm-hmm. that people get attacked by. Although when it does when it does happen, it's kind of unfortunate that the media over over sensationalizes uh, uh, you know that incident. Uh, considering most sharks are, are absolutely harmless and and beneficial, uh, uh, of course, to our food chain and, our, and to our uh, delicate ecosystems. Absolutely. Right. 
I mean, movies as like Jaws and and all those shark movies. Yeah, that's where the um, you know, it's an unfortunate thing. But uh, wow, so, and, and you said it's like third degree burns, right? Like, so you, the, the degree of pain. Right. How are these dolphins even like swimming around? I, like, like I, if I were to put myself in the shoes of a dolphin, I know, kind of silly, but like I, I would imagine like the moment I, I started having it, I would, I would just give up. I mean, I would just, you know. I mean, yeah. It's just it's, you know, dolphins around. don't have doctors. They don't have like medication. They don't have, you know, ointment or anything they can put on it, right? They have, they have to live with it. Right. And uh, so this sort of is bringing that awareness that's tied to climate change for people to sort of be more aware of what, you know, what, what's happening with our climate and why and how it's changing. And I guess to give a perspective, I guess, you know what, we've only been as homo sapiens um, been around, according to, this is Khan Academy, where I got this, uh, so then they, they do cite sources, um, but we're dated to be first found 200,000 to 300,000 years ago. So, and that's less than 1% of the entire existence of, of I guess, Earth. From four, from the prokaryotes that lived like four billion years ago, it's yeah, and it's it's funny you mentioned like how short humanity has been like in existence. Like in, I remember Neil, I think it was from Neil deGrasse Tyson, um, but but it was like if you took the entirety of the history of the universe and you put it into one year, the time that we've existed um, as humans is like the minutes before um, New Year's Eve, like like you know that. That's like in, in relative to the whole universe. So we have we have been here for such a short amount of time. But yeah, there's another um, there's another I, an analogy that goes: if you were to clip your fingernails, that's the time we've been on this earth compared to like the rest of our body, the rest of Earth that has been here. Wow. But yeah, uh, that sort of let's wraps see. up my article. How um, much time? Okay, let's see. We have uh, okay. We got. Um, usually like eight minutes left uh, before we would normally terminate. Uh, Ryan, how many people are, are watching us right now? So I, we, I don't have the... Uh... So we currently have four viewers. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Uh, do they have any... Uh, let's, see, do, let's see if they have any questions. I, I mean, we've been, we've been kind of blabbering away. I'm sure they might have uh, any inquiries or, or questions. And, and if not, uh, I don't know. Uh, would you be down for another, uh, another article? Or? Yeah. Yeah, I actually do have, you know, got the second article. Already uh, why, don't, why don't you do your second because last time i did my second article i don't think we did um your second article okay yeah uh and and just for um those curious in in chat or in our audience um normally ryan and i in like independently look up two articles uh one of the reasons we do that is not just for variety but because statistically there's a chance that ryan and i might do the same article but if we have two then the chances of us you know potentially colliding uh, are, are drastically lower. So, yeah, this almost ha this almost happened last podcast. Oh yeah, with we, the we were coming up with the right. We 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 both almost we both almost went for that article, but uh, I think uh, I I uh, was able to grab that one, and Ryan chose another equally awesome article as well. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's. So I guess let's continue. Um. So All right. Let's starting the third article of tonight. We have stretchable micro supercapacitors that can harvest energy from human breathing and motion. So this Whoa, is Whoa, hold up. That that was a a, a mouth like a mouthful. Mm -hmm. Stretchable. Like rubber band stretchable supercapacitors. Yeah, micro supercapacitors. Whoa, okay, micro supercapacitors. Yeah, so that's the extra tag. So it's not just supercapacitors, not just capacitors, they're supercapacitors, and along with that, they're micro. All right. <laughs> you got that, John? <laughs> 
I, I got it. Now I got it. <laughs> okay. And so this is from the SciTech Daily, and this is by Penn State University. You know, in a lot of these sort of articles I read, I find Penn State to be, and Michigan State, to be on there oh, wow. a lot for these technology ones, which is interesting. But well, maybe they're uh, material sciences. I don't know how, like, like it's probably like an international ranking, but I, considering you see them so often, I wouldn't be surprised if they're like pretty high up there in terms of rankings. But yeah, um, so, so I guess John, um, since this is sort of involving, uh, involving, wait, yeah, involving uh, humans, sort of bendable, uh, I guess, electronics. What do you mm -hmm. envision the future of humans and wearable technology to be at, let's say, twenty years from now? Huh, that's an interesting. So and I, I maybe, know. And one, like, one second, one, let, let's see if maybe chat. You guys can also chime in. What you guys think? About, yeah, about that please do. future, future I mean, thoughts. I mean, the whole reason uh, Ryan and I uh, decide to host on Twitch is just so we can have that kind of interaction. So if you guys have any thoughts, like, go crazy. I mean, have fun. <laughs> go crazy. And so I think, uh, I think I'll go ahead and, and answer uh, what I think. So right now, wearables are, are in a, I think they're a pretty recent development. Maybe the idea has probably been around for ages. But uh, I know there are, like, certain problems with getting, like, sensor data um, for pulses and, and for things like that. Uh, I mean, we, we, we already have like some really nice stuff like the Apple Watch and, and I think in the future we'll be able to gather more information. Um, I think these wearables will last longer. Like I think the Apple Watch takes like 24 hours, like it'll last a whole day um, on a charge. But I think in the future, um, we'll definitely be uh, uh, more uh, longer lived and, and efficient. Now, one thing that I, I do want to, um, I, I just want to bring this in, is uh, I'm pretty, like, I'm a pretty cybersecurity conscious person. And um, the thing that I, I've always, like, had a stickling point with wearables is, is their security. Um, you guys might have heard of a, 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 an incident. This happened, I don't know, if it, like, last year. Ryan, I don't know if you heard about this. How a whole, like, military base got exposed because um, the soldiers were wearing fitness trackers. And like the way they're walking around like that company got compromised or something and then they could see the the mapping of that base which is supposed to be you know top secret or classified information so oh no so so although wearables are, are do have benefits i can definitely see their benefit for certain health technologies um we should always exercise caution uh, in terms of privacy and, and security but that's my two cents Ryan, what do you? Uh, what was your goal in asking me that, or asking uh, the audience that? Just, just uh, you know, throwing some fun question in there for people that I don't know, for to like, for movies, <laughs> you know, I don't know, just have some fun. Um, but that's a really good point to you know to be aware of. I think John about cybersecurity. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Know. I mean, we, I think it's uh, you know, we we put so much of ourselves online, not quite realizing just, you know, how open you are to, you know, potential attacks or, or vulnerabilities. Right. Um, right. And it's just to be aware of that, you know, and to realize, you know, like you said, our data is out there and what we can do right now to, you know, to prevent that. So if we get sponsored by ExpressVPN or some, some uh, VPN, you know, <laughs> but anyways, um, so yeah. So like, it sort of feels like, uh, even with Elon Musk's company, uh, Neuro, wait, what's it called? Neuro? Neuralink? I think Neuralink. it's called Neuralink. Thank you, yeah. Um, it almost feels like we're one step away from sort of inter uh, intertwining with technology to be on our body. And it's sort of, this reminds you also is that 20 years from now, 
we couldn't just Google things. We couldn't look up directions. You know, we couldn't. Oh, Ryan, I'm going to pause you real quick. I, uh, if you guys saw me like typing away, I just pulled up the article about the military base and the fitness trackers. I highly encourage the, uh, you know, chat to go ahead and, you know, if, if you're interested, definitely check that out. But that's like a really good cautionary tale about why you should, you know, actually caution. Uh, with that being said, uh, Ryan, why don't you go ahead? Yeah. And so, I mean, I was just sort of reflecting of uh, how far we progressed as in technology. Um, just being able to have a phone next to us just to pull up any information we want, like at our disposal. Disposal, disposable. <laughs> and, disposal. Uh, no, you're yeah. right. Disposal. And um, it's it's crazy. It's just to think that you know you can you can go you know, you can you can go from here to like Arizona and you have directions straight to there. You know, twenty years from now, I, I think twenty years before you'd have to print out the map or print out the directions. And <laughs> um, and if you were lost and you really didn't know how to use a map, you know, you're you got to depend on people to show you where to go. Um, yeah. So it's sort of just sort of reflecting on, on that on the past. Now, the pace of tech development, right? Mm -hmm, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, imagine like you mentioned, like bringing a phone to maybe our, our grandparents or our great grandparents. I mean, they would be dumbfounded at, you know, just how powerful this thing is. Right. So we're super, I guess, spoiled in that way. But, you know, and also there's also bite backs again with the whole security. But uh, anyways, the um, so the team of international researchers led by uh, his English name is Larry. Uh, his last his Chinese last name is Chang. Uh uh, Dorothy Quiggle, a uh, career development professor in Penn State's uh, Department of Engineering, Science and Mechanics, um, members from Penn State and Minjiang oh, University and Nanjing University, both in China, recently okay. published its results in nanoenergy. And nanoenergy is basically just another place where, I guess, faculty can upload their, their findings. And, uh, and so... Uh, and I guess you did bring up good uh, sort of shortcomings in wearable technology, which I did want to point out, uh, such as um, battery life. Uh, like you said, you know, Apple Watches maybe can last a day, but you got and, and, and that's if you don't use it tremendously, I guess, throughout the day. Um, and of course, the these how stretchable uh, sort of let's say like health devices on your body can be. You know, let's say you're doing yoga and you stretch, and oops, you rip your you know your 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 electronic uh, that that you're wearing, um, and and there's also I guess drawbacks in from the article brings up that uh, low energy density and limited oh yeah again limited stretchability. So a low energy density means again that like low battery life on these wearable devices. Those, well, I think it's not so much like like you say energy density right. So it's like per cubic like you know I say centimeter or micrometer of material. Uh, I, I, the amount of energy you can store is, is limited as well. Fundamentally limited. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's, um, and so I guess let's, let's talk about a little bit, I guess the difference between supercapacitors and capacitors for people that are wondering like, why is it called a supercapacitor? Um, yeah. The, the, do you want to guess why John? Uh, I, I mean, I've been wondering that difference too, uh, because I, I mean, I, I, we're both familiar about, you know, what, what a capacitor is, but I don't like, I, I would assume like all a supercapacitor is, is kind of like a, a beefed up normal capacitor just from the name like it's a really stupid guess but <laughs> no that's exactly what it is um uh the the before they named it supercapacitor they named it double layer capacitor so it's just a capacitor that's double layered um, and then they said that name was like too forgettable so they called it a super wait, capacitor. Wait, what do you mean uh double layered because like i know like oh so so uh a normal do i even have ah okay uh, i have a little workbench up to the left of me here are some normal 
this is like a very tiny capacitor. Oh, so this is two. This is two metal plates, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just like two plates, and then there's some dielectric. So when you say double layered, um, can you kind of tell our audience what that might look like? Um, if, because normal capacitors are just like mm -hmm. two plates, and sometimes we coil them up, but it's still just like two massive um, plates in a very tiny area. Uh, I think pictures from online they look pretty similar to uh, regular capacitors, except they're just um, they almost look like a. a you know those batteries that are sort of like, uh, I guess, like in a circle. I forgot what the if, if what the name like of the... button cells. Yeah. Button cells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like. Oh, that. that's what they. Yeah, it's like this, like a little pan, and then just you know your two. Oh. So it's nothing. Okay. It's nothing too crazy different. You know they, they are just capacitors. Yeah. <laughs> Here's another one. This is this is what I meant. Like when I said that you have two layers, but you kind of coil them around, so it makes this kind of little cylindrical um shape here for anyone watching <laughs> kind of reminds me of, of, of a uh virus <laughs> oh yeah uh, i mean uh <laughs> it's funny but um uh yeah so um okay so the, the, i guess the pros to supercapacitors is that they have a small footprint they're high power they have high power density and the ability to charge and discharge and they uh they have the ability to charge and discharge quickly so you see them in batteries like fast charging batteries like our iphones um I, I wouldn't imagine they're in Teslas, I'm assuming, with the fast charging uh, ports. I don't think they're super, like, I think what happens is maybe there are some super capacitors when you really, like, you need the instant torque, mm -hmm. like, you know, like a very fast, but I think the, the, they still have lithium ion batteries in the, um, the the floor of that Tesla. That's right. Yeah. So you, you can have, super, you know, super, super capacitors, capacitors, uh, like, and you said lithium battery, they all sort of work together in order to make certain right. technology work. Right. So you're like, um, yeah, so it's never it's not it's not like okay, we'll use supercapacitors supercapacitors for everything, you know they're like the best, but we need all those components, right? Because to, it's always a trade off between like uh like how much uh power you can deliver in in a, in any moment of time versus the amount of storage, and it's it's always been a historical like trade off. Like the more power you give in one instant, the less you can kind of store, and then you know vice versa. If you want more storage, well then it might not be able to give as much juice um, as you'd want to um, instantaneously. Mm -hmm. And okay, and a con to this though is that there are uh, more expensive than regular capacitors. So that's also the trade-off is that it's going to be uh, pricey. Um, like, oh, you mean like this existing supercapacitor? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, like oh, okay. super supercapacitors in general are more expensive than regular capacitors. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. So Chang and his team explored so alternate device uh, architectures and integration processes that advance micro supercapacitors to be used in wearable devices. And I guess you can sort of see why the reason why they want to use supercapacitors in wearable devices is that uh, they can charge or be like supercharged way faster than uh, than I guess normal capacitors. But of course, they charge faster and they store more mm -hmm. for a smaller amount of volume, right? Right. So they have higher power density. That's for the yeah gotcha. and um okay and so they found that a raging micro so they and they're, they're trying to find a certain design that would allow um for micro uh supercapacitors to be used um because again they're not bendable so they're trying to find a design that allows that for to happen so um yeah we're gonna leave off Okay, so they found that a raging micro supercapacitors cells uh, into a serpentine island bridge layout allows the configuration to stretch and bend at bridges while reducing deformation of the capacitors. So when I see hmm. when I say okay. serpentine island bridge layout, um, you want to 
break that down, John? What do you think? Like serpentine? Try and guess. Okay, yeah, so I, like I know serpentine. So, so I'm, I'm thinking of like something wiggly. You know, it looks like a snake, right? Mm-hmm. Serpentine island. So maybe it's like two like metal strips that are like in the serpentine arrangement. So I think when you apply mechanical stress, right? Like when you stretch or deform it, the actual capacitor or, or some arrangement of the plates will stay put so the capacitance doesn't change but it can withstand the deformations that, that's my guess no yeah no you hit that spot on so serpentine right snake-like serpent that's sort of what I, like first triggered my mind um island bridges so they had different capacitors and, and different you know islands that are connected that are connected snake uh, in a snake-like pattern so that way if, if they are bended they are able to sort of do its best to maintain that i guess their, their structure um and so uh, when combined into these structures, it's um, also called micro supercapacitor arrays. So I thought that was pretty cool oh. terminology. Okay. Um, and okay, so how do they cr- uh, construct these island bridge designs? Um, so Chang and his team used non-layered ultra-thin zinc phosphorus nano sheets and 3D laser induced graphene foam to construct the design. Oh, there's graphene again. Yep. I'm telling you, that's like the, it's a killer material. It's super cool stuff. <laughs> Right, and I guess you want to sort of remind, I want to uh, explain graphene, why it's yeah, cool. Yeah, sure thing. So uh, graphene is nothing more than like a, a, a really, really, really thin layer of carbon. Pretty much like a, in an ideal world, it'd be like just an atom thick. And, and basically the idea is if I were looking top down, um, you would see these carbon atoms arranged in kind of hexagons. And they're just you know flat next to each other. Now carbon has four valence electrons. For those that aren't um, inclined towards chemistry, uh, your valence electrons are the electrons that are in the outermost shell of the uh, of the atom. So they're free for bonding. And in graphene, what happens is um, there are three of uh, you. You have three bonds to other carbon atoms, but you've got one electron that's free. So that means that electron can actually move um, through the other uh, or it can jump. Uh, through the other carbon atoms, and, and you have like electrical conductivity. Um, graphene's uh, really good at heat resistance. Uh, I think uh, last time, I actually want to correct that from episode four. I may have um, accidentally said it was heat conductive. That's wrong. It's good for um, heat resistance. Diamond, on the other hand, is excellent for uh, heat uh, conductivity, uh, but diamond is a, a much different structure. But yeah, that's sort of the uh, basic structure of graphene. And uh, um, we already know from last episode, frequency multiplication is just another feature on a long list of like super cool things you can do with graphene. Right. And, and I think you, you, you gave a good demonstration of, you know, if you rub your pencils, uh, oh, yeah. and then you just take some tape and tape it off. There's if graphene. If you want to make graphene yourselves, uh, t- literally, you take some pencil lead and uh, you know get a piece of paper and you just like really, really like get that dark smudge on there and get a piece of scotch tape, put it on the paper and, and gently peel. And then you, you sort of ha- already have that really thin layer and you can repeatedly do that. Like get another piece of scotch tape and do it again. And you can get like this, you know, really, I, that's arguably, I think that's what they did um, uh, before. Although these days, I think we can grow graphene uh, in a much more, uh, repeatable and scalable manner. And so, yeah, bouncing off. So yeah, they use all those good stuff <laughs> that one I just mentioned. <laughs> and then, um, so Chang integrated this system with a triboelectric nano generator, which is an emerging tech that converts mechanical movement to electrical, uh, electrical energy. 
And oh, so okay. theoretically speaking, of course, uh, um, we can we can harvest energy from movement of bending elbows, breathing, spe- uh, even speaking, Chang says. So, uh, and um, wow. we can use everyday motions to charge these micro supercapacitors is what his so goal is. So if was. I'm upset, does that mean I can charge my phone? Like I can just yell at my phone? Oh my goodness, this terrible piece of tech doesn't work. And then my phone will be like charged while I'm you know, busy like flailing my arms in anger. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, theoretically speaking. Um, wow, okay. So. Yeah, and then so for the future, if this is attainable, we can uh, endlessly power our smaller devices such as like iPhone watches, uh, I guess, you know, maybe your Air- AirPods uh, on the go. So that's sort of... Maybe, the- um, like I'm, I'm already thinking about this. Like if you, because you know, like if I put my my fingers here, you can kind of like detect your pulse, right? Right. On your wrist, and like that, I wonder if that like small movement is enough to like generate juice for that capacitor. And in which case, you could have a, a you know, a rudimentary watch that doesn't, you know, um, ever need to be recharged. That'd be really cool. That would be really cool. I, I, yeah, that would be. Really, uh, this reminds me of. I remember I had an idea of like. You have a bike. You know how when you're biking and it's cold outside and your hands get super cold? What if you can right. generate heat under handlebars in order to warm up your hands? So huh. that would be really that cool. That would be really nice. So, or um, p- pacemakers. I think like for life-critical tech, like pa- um, uh, pacemakers normally need to be like replaced or recharged. I think that's how they, um, you know, like they, they send the electrical signal that makes sure your heart, um, uh, for those that have certain um, heart conditions, to make sure your heart beats properly and those in the in the very beginning it's kind of crazy like you originally had a nuclear like i think it was like your it's plutonium powered battery in mm. your chest that was a thing like like oh, the, wow. the first gen pacemakers yeah plutonium um, in your yeah plutonium powered yeah is that scary uh i, I don't know about <laughs> you but i, I don't want to like walk around spending my whole life with a chunk of plutonium in my chest you know, I, and, and of course, um, later on, they, they, I think they moved over to like rechargeable batteries, but that means like every couple like years, you have to go back to the hospital and they have to like replace that battery. Oof. And it's just, you know, it's, I think it's just a nightmare. So, but, but with that kind of technology, I wonder if like you can recycle um, or, or like maybe other parts of your body can help charge that pacemaker, which would be really nice because then you, you, don't, have to have, you don't have to have um, so many invasive operations done to get that battery recharged. Right, and this can also like maybe promote uh, health. You know, move going out for a run to charge oh, your AirPods. I guess so. That's like stretching it because yeah. I, I feel like that won't actually happen in, rea- well, in I feel reality. Like the, the thing with wearables, right, is like once pe- I feel like there, you know, I feel like you're onto something because uh, uh, whenever, when, as soon as like Fitbit came out, and, and like uh, um, I don't know if anyone remembers this, but Nike actually made their own. Um, uh, uh, fitness tracker as well. Uh, I, I used oh. it for uh, a, a bit. I still have it, but it's like, it's super. Um, it's missing a lot of features. But <laughs> yeah, I actually had a bit too. I think when that hit the market, a lot of people were like, "I want to get as much use out of this thing." So I gotta like you know exercise or, or you know, and then I can you know I can make those annoying social media posts saying like, "Wow, <laughs> I burned like one million calories today," and, and you know, look at uh, me, so I, I look think, at me. Right, I, yeah. I think you're onto something. And I give credit there, like like fitness trackers for people, for some people are actually really great to help motivate good habits and, and keep, but at the same time, I mean, I've mentioned this earlier uh, and Ryan knows this about me. I do not like that, like poor 
cybersecurity aspect. Like I, I don't want yeah. my Fitbit to get compromised and then find out that like some hacker now knows my daily routine or something. That, that would that would be terrible because he would yeah. know your your like where you run and what time you would run. So if right. you were to do some any like, I guess they might even know like health pro like. Like yeah. if they saw my, my, my heart and they realized like, oh, uh, this guy suffers from uh, uh, some kind of bradycardia. Maybe I can use that to, I, I don't know, like, against advantage. him or something. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. a great point you bring up. Um, it's kind of scary. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. It's really no, scary. Definitely. But I think, um, I mean, you put the emphasis on wearables, but I think any development in general for supercapacitors is, is great for all kinds of electronics. Like uh, we mentioned Teslas, right? Uh, so, you know, I mean, the more juice you can get out faster, I mean, that's, that's great for torque and, and for other uh, automotive applications, uh, definitely. Yeah, because, yeah, if you, if you were to just, uh, I guess, charge a capacitor really quickly, you would damage it. So that's also, I guess, the, the, the difference is that for supercapacitors, oh, okay. super capacitors, they're able to handle that, like, quick charge up. Like the, the, the onset of, like, that like massive input of energy. Oh, right. okay. I didn't know that. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, that sort of wraps up my article, though. Uh, this, if chat has any remarks, um, John, what do you think? Should we go? Want to go ahead and finish off with yours, uh, or should we just? Let's see. Let's see how much time we have. Does I chat think we wanna... might want to call it. Yeah, it's one. It's one fifteen. Um, oh, I mean, it's one hour and fifteen minutes into the podcast. Ryan, how many people are are uh, have, still have their eyes on us? Quattro, quattro. Four. We yep. We're still holding steady at four. All right. That is. Uh, that's good. That's good to hear. Uh, well, let's see. In that case. Uh, let's see. Let me see how long my next article is. If it's too long, I might consider. Uh... Okay, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead. And, it's a short article. Uh, this was a short article, but I, okay. I, I think it's still interesting. To, let's uh, go. I think that we'll pog uh, champ, pog champ. <laughs> we'll get our uh, last fifteen minutes uh, on this article. So this this comes from SciTech Daily, uh, and it's uh, there's something called the Venus Apparatus, um, which mimics life's first steps in uh, in outer space. Uh, it's a pretty neat piece of a machinery. So Ryan, you remember. Uh, I think I think this is episode one. I talked about Hayabusa two. Do you yep. remember what one of the missions of Hayabusa two was? Just to retrieve one of, one of its goals. Retrieve material from the asteroid and right. bring it back. Um, that's correct. I, 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 uh, I forget was, the, like, the specific detail though. That's fine. That's okay. So uh, one of the benefits of doing that kind of research is, is if we can see the materials from space, we can kind of get an idea. Uh, of just you know, we just like how life may have arisen uh, on Earth, because we we um, there's something called abiogenesis. You can look that up, but uh, it's the uh, sort of idea in science that okay, you have this soup of amino acids and precursor compounds, uh, uh, certain uh, amino acids or, or carbon compounds, and and over time we we still don't know exactly how, but we do know that over millions of years. Um, eventually, we got the uh, phospholipid bilayers that we need for certain cell structures, and eventually we got prokaryotes, as Ryan pointed out earlier, and then prokaryotes eventually kind of you know evolved, and and we have you know multicellular life. Um, so so being able to understand maybe how some of these reactions occur in space may give us a, a helpful hint as to how abiogenesis might have happened. And uh, this device, um, this Venus device, is developed in a CY Sergi Paris University and the Paris Observatory. Uh, and it's called Venus because it's actually um, a French acronym for, uh, and forgive me if my French sounds terrible. I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed uh, because I took, I took a, a lot of French back in high school. But <laughs> That's okay. It's the um, Vers de Nouvelle Synthesis, which means towards new syntheses. And it mimics uh, how molecules come together uh, in the darkness of space. 
So I, I uh, yeah, let me go ahead and uh, give you like, it's pretty crazy how they pull this off. Uh, I'm gonna try and explain the, the mechanics of how this works real quick. So it's actually a chamber. Venus has this chamber and it replicates the vacuum space. So the temperature is set to negative 400 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. And I thought it was interesting that this article, this science article, um, decided to use Fahrenheit as its unit of measurement, considering um, uh, Celsius is usually more common uh, in, in the physical sciences. Uh, but then again, this, this article might have been targeted towards <laughs> uh, American readers who are more familiar um, with the Fahrenheit scale. <laughs> and uh, basically, so in this super cold chamber, it's 10 Kelvin. They use five beams, and they're not, they're not really laser beams. I'm not quite sure what they are. They're like literally molecular beams. Um, they, they put these molecules onto a tiny chunk of ice without disturbing the environment. So it's not even like a human has to go in there and use a, a pipette, but it's uh, these literal beams uh, that carry the molecules and, and put them onto um, that piece of ice. Wow. So, wow. Okay. Yeah, so it's, uh, it, it's, it's a pretty hardcore piece of machinery. Yeah, um, so instead of, instead, of, instead of using normal pipettes, they, they use laser, you said? It, it's a kind of... They, they, Okay, the, the research paper was super dense for me. I, I think what they're using is some kind of like, uh, maybe they, they, they vaporize the compound and then they can use like the vapor and get like singular molecules on at a time. I think that's, this is what they mean by beam. Wow. But uh, once again, uh, I'll go ahead and drop the link uh, for those in chat. Um, at the very bottom of that article, you should see, um, here we go. You should see the actual uh, research paper, but it is a, a, a pretty dense read. But uh, I do want to give uh, huge kudos to the um, American Institute of Physics for making that research paper free because uh, I, I hate I hate paywalls. I mean, I'm gonna be honest. And for those of you that um, like you know like there's a, a good paper and it's paywalled, I want you guys to know that not a single penny actually goes to the researchers. Mm. Yeah, which is tragic because. Researchers need the need funds. money. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, I feel like I don't know what the exact number is, but the majority of time, like, they have to beg um, institutions or, or wealthy people for for money to do um, science that could be that could potentially be life saving, that could further our understanding of, of the universe and, and nature. Uh, so, so when those you, when you see those websites that are like, oh, pay like fifty dollars for this paper, just remember, not a single penny actually goes to the, the the wonderful team that made the paper it all goes to the publishing company it's a, a super uh, uh terrible configuration yeah yeah but but you know that's yeah, something's got to change sooner or later but yeah it's like reality so, uh, damn yeah but uh anyway uh, so this is so uh, emmanuel i hope i'm saying his name right emmanuel conju uh, um, he's uh, so this got published in the American Institute of Physics uh, Review of Scientific Instruments, and he says that uh, this machine, as I mentioned earlier, it replicates how molecules form on the ice that sits on tiny dust particles in interstellar clouds. So that's why there's that kind of I had to mention the sliver of ice. So you have the the substrate. Oh, and speaking of which, that ice isn't like they don't put the ice in. The machine is capable of like making a precise piece of ice like it's wow. it's machine to specification it is it's it's, uh, it's crazy it's crazy accurate wow i want to see what the machine looks like now <laughs> it, it looks like well from the picture like if anyone uh, a lot of, of of those machines they're, they're like coated in a lot of like it looks like aluminum foil but the foil is there to kind of i think temperature control the device 
And uh, do you remember when I talked about uh, alpha? Do you remember that, Ryan? Oof, yeah. The fine structure or Summerfield Summerfeld constant. Um, the the it almost reminds me of the machinery they they used the um to predict or to calculate uh, Summerfeld's the value. Mm-hmm. It had to be super precise. And I think I told you later on, like they found out that at least one of the two teams is wrong because right. two teams um tried to get the value of alpha or the fine structure constant, and um they found out like one of them they don't know who it is though. So they're still. Um, this team in Paris and the team in California are trying to figure out, like, okay, who, you know, who? It's almost like the Spider-Man meme, like the two, <laughs> yeah. the two Spider-Men are, point are pointing each at each other. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. So, um, but basically, uh, and and he even says that the, the machine is capable of doing in the lab in one day what would take literally thousands of years in space. Holy moly. Yeah, one one a thousand years of, of just drifting through interstellar space, and and we have the technology, like that SpongeBob clip, uh, <laughs> uh, where where like I think they, I think they stained like Mr. Krabs's like first dollar, and Patrick like has the audacity to take a computer and like smash the uh, poor <laughs> yeah. thing on the like we have technology, <laughs> but uh, I digress. It's just a, it comes through my mind when I think of uh, that phrase. You know, we have the technology. Uh, oh. But over 50 years... Oh, no, go ahead, Ryan. Sorry. No, I was saying, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> uh, over 50 years, uh, scientists have identified 200 different molecular species uh, in star-forming regions of space, uh, and, and some of these are considered prebiotic species. So, so these mo- molecules are considered the precursors to life here on Earth. That's... Um, wow. That's pretty yeah, deep. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> the paper itself... Uh, they, they, they're really keen on working with the James Webb Telescope. Have you heard of that one? Nope. The Webb Telescope. So that's, gonna, that's, Webb. that's supposed to launch next year. It will be in the history of, of, of humanity's uh, uh, you know, uh, space exploration and research. It will be the most powerful and the largest telescope that mankind has ever put into space. It's, it's, it's intentionally meant uh, to usurp a Hubble, which a lot of people do know about. And uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, the James Webb Telescope will not be plagued by so many problems. Uh, like Ryan, have you have you heard the story behind like the Hubble fiasco? Nope. So the Hubble um, the Hubble Space Telescope, when it first launched, had a really really huge and embarrassing problem. Uh, and, it, and you know how like telescopes need like really n- good mirrors, right? Mm-hmm. And the Hubble Telescope is not small. Like it's a pretty massive like satellite, so it's got a pretty big mirror as well. And that mirror has to be like ground down and smooth to like precise specifications. And what turn what turns out happened is they launched and the pictures came back, and the pictures came back blurry. Oh, like no. imagine spending millions of dollars on on this telescope oh, and man. the pictures come back looking like someone took them on a, a on like a, a, a potato. A S, a, yeah, like on a Samsung S two or something. Like <laughs> the the quality was awful. And you know NASA was it was a national embarrassment um, because we spent millions of taxpayer dollars on this machine and the pictures were and it turns out it turns out what happened is when they were manufacturing the mirror and the, and the mirror is like the, the heart of the telescope you mm-hmm. have a bad mirror you're done for it turns out when they were like grinding that mirror down the sensor they were using was off 
there was like a, a hardware error. For those that are curious, do look up like the Hubble telescope mirror um, error. They had like a huge investigation on this and, and it was like a, 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 yeah, but it was a huge fiasco. But what's really cool, and I think this like is a, a huge testament to NASA's capability um, for space research, and, or not just NASA, but like human ingenuity, is they made corrective optics. Like they launched these corrective optics and they had astronauts physically install um, new hardware into Hubble. So now Hubble works fine. We have these absolutely gorgeous images um, of space. But keep in mind, like, you know, and, and the, the error on that mirror was off by a hair, like a human hair. That was how much the error was in like the, the, um, the mirror's uh, configuration. It was, like, it was like literally a hair off. That is, and it ruined everything. So, I mean, that goes to show that even though you're like, you, you think everything's going to go to like, you have every piece planned out, something shows up that you just right. didn't, didn't right. take into account. Something as small as that, that laser that you brought up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, to be fair, they, they were using, I think they were using a new piece of hardware to do like, there's like a piece of, there's a tool that like glides on the surface of the mirror and it lets the engineers know like whether or not the curvature is correct. And I think what happened is that that hardware got jammed. Hmm. So it, it reported the wrong value when really they were actually like, um, um, pretty off in terms of the, but hope, wow. so I'm, 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 the reason I bring it up is I'm, I'm really hoping that James Webb, the Webb telescope does not have these problems because it's, you know, the, the Webb telescope is designed to be, um, I, I think, uh, the, it, it is, no, it is the largest telescope Google have ever launched. And I, I think the Webb telescope, because uh, I'm not too familiar with uh, telescope optics, but they're like two options. You can have a really big mirror, or you can have a bunch of like like different like I think like you know multiple mirrors paneled um, together. And Webb is that like multiple smaller mirrors that are paneled together. Oh wow! Because I wonder, it, oh man, I wonder if that's gonna like increase the errors because it's like, but maybe not. Maybe you have small two like many smaller pieces that add up to one big piece. Yeah, I think it's um, manufacturing is easier too uh, because it, it, they're small. Like the bigger the mirrors get, um, it, it gets like, you know, yeah, because you have sense. to imagine you build the massive mirror and you got to transport that on a car or by, by mm -hmm. sea. And, and it's got to be like, right. if so much as a single scratch happens, you got to toss that mirror. It, right. It's useless to you. Yeah, that's smart. That's really smart to, to think of like the smaller pieces. And then, yeah, it sounds like it's much more easy to ship because you can stack them maybe. <laughs> in a cargo or something. I don't even know if you. you know, I don't. I, I would not yeah. want to stack them. I know. Yeah, I'm just. I'm just like guessing. <laughs> but that's cool. That's, but, that's like series. You know, all these tiny, finite. I guess. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Pieces come together and. Um, you can find it in radio telescopes too. Uh, uh, so, like uh, you talked about, uh, I think one of our very first episodes was about um, Arcebo, um, Arecibo, right? Is that the Arecibo. proper pronunciation? Yeah. Arecibo. Arecibo. Okay. About Arecibo. And uh, there are other radio observatories that aren't like, like Arecibo is one big dish, mm -hmm. but um, there are other ones um, in the U.S. that are like actually multiple um, satellite dishes and they're all lined up um, and, and oh. together um, they create like one massive radio telescope. That's really cool. Yeah. 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 So, uh, but yeah, I, I think it's cool. We have this device on Earth, Venus. So that's the name, do... Venus, right? That's the... Yeah, Venus. That's okay. the acronym. Cool. And it can do in the lab a one day, but would take in space a thousand years. I think that's a really bold claim. So. <laughs> right, right. Oh my gosh. We should. I think we'll call it a. We'll call it a night. All right. Yeah. Woo.
All right, guys. Thank you guys for uh, tuning right. in on tonight uh, tonight's podcast at the Zero X2C. And this is Ryan signing out. Yep, and this is John. I hope you all have an absolutely wonderful night. Bye.